0: As we dive in, or we begin to dive into Hebrews chapter 6, some of you know that I was blessed growing up to have the experience of being able to to, to boat on the Chesapeake Bay, and I loved boating with my family, great, great family times, and um, as my brother and sister and I got old enough, my dad would involve us in you know being useful on, on the boat, and so we would help out with docking, with getting things ready, um, he would let us sit at the helm occasionally, I don't think that was really to help out. That was more just an experience for us. But one of my favorite things to do as a kid would, when we would get to some place we were going to anchor would be to help set the anchor um, on the bow of the boat. And so if you've had any kind of experience of boating, um, that would require me or my brother, and we'd fight over who would get to do it, climbing up onto the bow of the boat. The anchor would be secured there on the bow, so we'd have to undo the brackets and get the anchor out. And then we would kind of lean over the bow of the boat and you would, you would lower the anchor down into the water, right, and, and set the anchor. And it was a lot of fun. I felt like I was doing something important, right, but I also get to hang out on the bow of the boat with the boat rocking, and it felt like there was a certain degree of, of risk. Um, if you know anything about how anchors work, it's not primarily the weight of the anchor that keeps the boat solid. Um, Of course, the bigger the boat, the heavier the anchor, but by and large, it's not the weight. It's the anchor digging into the surface. You can see on the next picture here that as you lower the anchor down, it's going to eventually hit the bottom, and you want to then put the boat into reverse, allowing the wind to push you, but then pulling the boat back in reverse, and as you do that, the hooks on the bottom of the anchor are going to dig into the bottom of of the bay or the river or wherever it is that you are. And so you want these, these big spikes are going to dig down into the mud. Now, the, the other point about setting an anchor is that you want to back the boat up far enough so that as the wind is blowing and pulling on the anchor, you want to back the boat up far enough so that you're not pulling up on the anchor. If the boat is right over top of the anchor, this anchor is not going to hold. It's just going to pull right up. And so that boat is going to go back further and further and further, depending upon the depth of the water, until the, the rope is actually pulling across, pulling not, not up on the anchor, but out on the anchor. Does that make sense? And the more the wind blows, the more these hooks are going to dig into the mud and keep the boat steady. So that when the wind blows, when the waves crash, as the uh, current pushes, the boat's not going to go anywhere. It's going to stay put. It's going to stay firm, even in the midst of a storm, right? Your boat will stay lashed, and it can swing, and it can sway, but it's not going to move if the anchor is set properly. But I remember one night where we had set the anchor and we were in a cove and we were spending the night on the boat. We had a little cabin we would all cram into. And in the middle of the night, we wake up to a thump because the wind had changed direction and the waves had gotten rougher. And lo and behold, we woke up to find out we had ran into another boat. And he was, of course, not very happy about that, to say the least. But so then in the middle of the night, my dad had to wake me up I had to climb back out onto the bow, we had to pull the anchor up, we had to re- find a, a new spot and reset it, and so here I am on the bow of the boat, now the you know, waves are really rocking and I'm like loving it. You know, as a 12-year-old kid, this is like, you know, super fun, right? But the problem is that the anchor hadn't been set properly, it wasn't holding firm, it wasn't holding steady. Now I say all that to say this, friends, we need an anchor, Right? We need an anchor for our soul. And my concern is that far too many of us are looking to things of the world to anchor ourselves in the midst of the trials and the hardships of life. And we look to things like finances or career or popularity. But those things aren't going to hold when the wind changes direction, when the current picks up, when the waves crash, when the storm comes. And so our our passage in Hebrews chapter 6 this morning, go ahead and turn there if you have your Bible. We're going to be picking up in Hebrews chapter 6 Verse 13 page 1004 on those blue hardback Bibles. Kids, would love for you to follow along if you brought your Bible or cozy up next to mom or dad. And this passage tells us that Jesus is the anchor for our soul, the one who will hold, the one who is steady, the one who is immovable. And when we lash ourselves to him, we have stability and security in the midst of the waves and the storms of life. He is the anchor for our soul. We've been reading in the book of Hebrews this fall about the challenges that the Hebrew Christians are facing. We saw last week at the end of uh, uh, chapter, or verses 11 and, and 12, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read them this morning, that some people drift away, some people fall away and turn from the Lord, but God's desire is that we would have full assurance of hope, that we could ground ourselves in Christ and have confidence. And that imagery and this idea continues this morning when we look to Christ as the anchor of our soul who holds us firm and secure. So let me pray. We're going to unpack verse 13 and following, but I'm going to pick up and get a little bit of a running start in verse 11 to remind ourselves of the background that we read last week. So let's pray together, and then we will jump in. Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you with people in need. We come to you, God, unsure and unsteady, uncertain. Lord, needing grounding, needing your hope. Father, we thank you for your word. For the truth and the, the lasting power that it has, that even now in 2022, that your word speaks to our hearts. And so encourage us, challenge us, guide my words, Father, this morning, that we would hear the word of God, that we would securely and firmly tie ourselves, hold ourselves to the anchor of Christ, Lord, we know that many of us are even now facing storms. So bless us with that security and that encouragement today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews 6.11 says, We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Verse 13, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steady anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place, behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Having become a high priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. Amen, amen, the word of God, we're going to pick up in verse 13, you can see we have three points this morning in your bulletin, and I know I've left you in suspense with some blanks, so uh, kids old enough to write, I hope that you'll follow along and fill in those blanks along with us, Um, in the meantime you can color your picture there on the back, but diving into verse 13, we see the story of Abraham, right, grounding this idea of God's um, work and God's promise in our life is grounded in the story of Abraham and the oath that God swore to Abraham. So it says in verse 16 that when you swear by something, you swear by something greater than yourself. And so God is making a promise to Abraham and it says that he swears by himself. Right? If you or I make a promise or make an oath that we're going to do something or we swear we're telling the, the truth, we need, to, we need to, sometimes we feel the need to ground that in something greater than ourselves. Right? And so if two people are in an argument or a disagreement or you're trying to validate yourself, you might say, no, no, I swear, I swear it's going to happen, right? And so it's basketball season is about to start. And so if you say to your dad or your coach, hey, look, every day I'm going to do 100 foul shots. And one of your teammates is like, man, you're not going to do that. No way you're going to do 100 foul shots. And you're like, no, no, I swear. I swear on the memory of Kobe. I will be out there every day in the drive, right? You're confirming your pledge on something or someone greater than yourself as a way to confirm that, that you are actually going to hold true to this pledge or this promise. If you really want the ultimate like affirmation, then you're going to do the picky swear, right? But we're not even going to go there this morning. So God says, has made a pledge, made a promise to Abraham. And he swore by himself because he's God. There's nothing or no one greater than himself that he could swear by. And so he swears by himself to Abraham. Now, the background of this story is in the book of Genesis. God had called Abraham and his wife Sarah to leave their homeland, to travel to a foreign land of Canaan. God made a a promise and a blessing to Abraham. And it took 25 years for that promise even to begin to be fulfilled. That he said to to Abraham he was going to bless him, he was going to build a great nation, and it would take 25 years for God to give them a son through whom God could bless the descendants of the nations. Sarah had been past the age of childbearing, and still they waited, past the age where, where she could naturally give birth, and still they waited and they hoped, and they trusted in the Lord, and they traveled to this foreign land of Canaan where God said, this is your homeland, I will give this to your descendants. And Abraham had to wait. And he had to until the, the, they brought them their son Isaac. And then Abraham would really be stretched and really be tested. God called Abraham to take his son Isaac up onto the mountain to sacrifice his son on the altar. And God would spare Isaac. But once Abraham had proven his faith, proven his obedience, the Lord knew that he was the man to fulfill the promise. As we see there in verse 14, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And so through, though because he waited patiently, he obtained the promise. And here's what it says in the book of, of Genesis after Abraham proved that he was willing to give up his son Isaac. He said, By myself I have sworn, the Lord said, Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. See, Abraham knew that the Lord was the anchor of his soul and so he waited patiently for God's promise. You see that? is the first point of your outline, that Abraham wait would wait patiently for God's promise. Kids, you can go ahead and fill that in. If there's any story in the Old Testament that speaks about what it is to wait patiently, it's Abraham and Sarah. Abraham was 99 years old before God gave them a son that would one day be the heir to the nation of Israel and have his descendants And through all of those ups and downs and all those years of barren childlessness, he waited. He waited with patience, trusting in God's promise, trusting that God had sworn an oath. It says by two unchangeable things, right? God had promised it, That's one unchangeable thing. God had sworn it with an oath. That's a second unchangeable thing. See, God doesn't lie. His promises will come to pass, and Abraham trusted, and he believed that. And friends, this morning, we wait patiently in the Lord based upon that same promise because you and I are now recipients of that blessing to Abraham. You and I are descendants of Abraham through faith in Christ, recipients of that promise, the promise that not only we would be blessed, but that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through us. And through the descendant of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob comes Christ, the fulfillment of this promise, that you and I receive the blessing of God, the covenant of God, eternal life of God, bound in relationship with him, to now take this gospel, to take this blessing out into the nations. And Paul would describe it like this in the book of Galatians. He says, for in Christ you all are sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Friends, God has promised that he'll bless you. He's promised that he'll give you eternal life through faith in him. He's promised that you will walk in peace. He's promised that he will be an anchor to hold you securely through the storms and the winds and the waves of life. And you can trust his promise. And so in the midst of that, even when God's work doesn't seem to be coming to pass, you can wait. You can wait with patience just as Abraham did, knowing that God's word is certain. And if he has promised, he will do it. See, unlike you or I, when God makes a promise, when he makes a pledge, he always keeps it. He always brings it to pass. Jesus taught, actually, his, his disciples, his followers, taught you and I not to be people that are constantly swearing an oath and pledging. And, oh, yeah, I swear that's true, and I, I pledge to do that. And I believe there's two reasons for that. One, because pledges and oaths, from a human perspective, get abused and misused, right? And if you are constantly saying, oh, I swear that, that's that, that's exactly how it happened. Oh, and I, I promise I'll be there. Oh, I swear I'm telling the truth. If you're constantly saying that and you have to affirm yourself with pledges and oaths and swearing, what are you essentially saying? I may or may not be telling the truth in other times. But if I say I swear, right? And so Jesus says, no, no. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Be a, a man or woman of integrity that doesn't need to swear an oath just to prove to everybody that what you're saying is true. Now, there is some difference of opinion amongst Christians, whether or not there's ever an appropriate time and place and way to pledge an oath. But in general, right, the idea is be a man or woman of integrity. Just always follow through, always be truthful, then you don't need to swear. But the other difference between you and I and God is that when God pledges something, when he promises something, it's going to happen, right? It's unchangeable, the text said. I don't know about you, but I sometimes run late. I sometimes am forgetful. I sometimes am lazy. I sometimes don't follow through. I sometimes face obstacles that prevent me from fulfilling the things that I maybe intended to do or promised to do, right? But God's plan and His purposes are unchangeable. And so we can trust Him. We can trust that the anchor will hold. We can trust that His pledge of eternal life, His pledge of peace and forgiveness and joy and blessing and fulfillment will come to pass in whatever storm you are facing. But look now, if you would, as we continue on to our second point, look now at, at verse 17. It says that when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, right? Right? His his promise and His purpose is unchangeable. As I just said, unlike you or I, He doesn't get distracted or disrupted. He doesn't run late. He's not forgetful. He's not lazy. God has never once faced an obstacle that He couldn't overcome to accomplish the eternal purpose that He set out to do. Some Old Testament scriptures that explain God's unchangeable purpose like this from the Psalms and the Proverbs. Psalm 33 says that the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plan's of his heart to all generation. Proverbs 19:21 Many are the plans in the mind of a man, right? There's all sorts of things that I'd like to do, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand, not my purpose. Isaiah 46 The Lord says, "I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times Things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Friends, you can take it to the bank. It's going to happen. If the Lord says it, He will do it. He will accomplish His purpose. He's guaranteed it with an oath. And so, because God does not lie, because He's promised it, because He's made an oath on it, we know that those who have fled for refuge, verse 18 says, can have strong encouragement. We can have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. See, those that are fleeing for refuge means that there's trouble, right? There's a storm. There's a problem. And so you're running. To flee is to run. To, to flee to refuge, kids means you're finding a safe place to hide. And we can have strong encouragement, those that have fled for refuge. And we can hold fast to the hope set before us because we know, and you see your second point there, we know that we can hold firmly to God's unchangeable purpose. We can hold firmly to God's unchangeable purpose in the midst of whatever it is that you are running from. And I love this picture in this verse, this idea of fleeing for refuge. I think it describes quite adequately our spiritual state. And I think about Hurricane Ian Last, last month in Florida, right, over 2.5 million people were told to evacuate, to flee, to run for their lives. Can you imagine this Hurricane 4 storm that landed? It's the fifth most powerful winds that have ever hit land on U.S. US soil. Over 150 miles an hour, and you were told, grab your stuff and run because a storm is coming that you cannot survive. And so you now you board up your house. You pack up your belongings. And you say, Mom, can I bring this? And she says, No, I'm sorry, honey. It won't fit in the trunk. And you take only what you can fit in your car. And then you wait for hours at the gas line to fill up your gas tank. And then you wait for more hours to get out of the city, to drive in any direction you can away from the storm. right? Knowing that there is a storm coming, 150 mile an hour winds that you cannot survive. And the scriptures say this is described you and I. As we face the storm of sin, the storm of judgment, the storm of death, the storm of the enemy. And so we are called to flee, to flee to Christ. And the hope of the gospel is that we can flee and find refuge in Him. Right? Like the people in that storm driving out to a relative in the middle of Iowa. And there's no hurricane going to touch Iowa, right? You know that you're safe. Friends, we are safe in Christ, and there is forgiveness from sin, and there is victory over death, and there is conquering from the the temptation and the ploy of the devil in Christ. And so we're called, young and old, to flee to Jesus this morning from the trials and the storms of life. From the hardships and the pain and the brokenness, we can find refuge in him. And in him we can hold firmly. Why can we hold firmly? Because he's an anchor for our soul. His his purposes are unchangeable. And he has pledged in Christ to protect you, to give you peace. Not to say that the winds still won't come, that the waves still won't rise. But there's peace and there's hope in him. And there is wisdom in the midst of difficult situations and there's peace in the midst of things that that are overwhelming to you and there's joy even in the midst of trial and there's forgiveness in the midst of overwhelming guilt and there's a way out there's hope in the midst of what you face because the hope that he has is not it's not like wishful thinking Right When it talks about hope in God's word, when it talks about hope in verse 18, we can hold fast to the hope set before us because it's certain. God's hope is certain and secure and definite. It's a certain expectation that God will move. That when he says, I promise to never leave you or forsake you, he means it. When he says that I will work all things together for good, he means it. When he says that I have cast your sins as far as the east is from the west, he means it. When he says that those who, who have faith in me will have an eternal life, he means it. When he says that there is abundance in Christ and I am the good shepherd to care for you, he means it. It's a certain hope. Amen? And so we can wait patiently for God's promise. We can hold firmly to God's unchangeable purpose. But look thirdly, if you would, at verse 19. This is sort of the highlight, the pinnacle of the passage. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place. I have to tell you, when I was planning and praying over our Hebrew series, I had these two themes in mind, this idea of of drawing near to, to the throne of grace and this passage of Jesus is the anchor for our soul. And I told Lachelle, I said, or I asked Lachelle, I said, Hey, can we design a logo? Can we design a throne with, where maybe the bottom of it looks like an anchor? And she was like, Yeah, that's not going to work. I was like, All right, well, I'm just even more excited then to get to, to Hebrews chapter 6. Right, Because not only can we draw near to the throne of grace and and find mercy and find grace to help in time of need, but with this backdrop is this idea, this beautiful image of Jesus as the anchor for our soul to keep us firm and steady. Amen? And it's described there as sure and steadfast. Firm and steady. Not just like throwing a cinder block over the side of your boat, because a cinder block is not going to hold. Right? Not just throwing the anchor over And not setting it properly. He is sure. He is steady in the midst of whatever you are facing. He is a hope. Jesus is a hope that enters into the inner place. What is our our anchor? Our anchor, of course, is Christ. But it's Christ in his work for us. Right? Not just Christ as a good teacher. Not just Christ as a miracle worker. But Christ as Savior, as Messiah, as we read in the book of Hebrews, as high priest who enters into the inner place. And as some of you may know, or as we've referred to here in the book of Hebrews, this is calling to our mind the temple, the tabernacle in the nation of Israel. And the priests that would minister at the tabernacle, as, we, as we've said, they stood as mediators between God and the people, right? And only once a year, the high priest was only allowed to go behind that curtain to the back of the tabernacle where the Ark of the Covenant stood, where God's presence dwelled, and once a year he could go behind the curtain just for a few moments, to mediate on behalf of the people. But our hope, our Savior, is a hope that enters into the inner place, that's gone behind the curtain, the curtain of heaven, fully and finally tearing down that curtain. Do you know that the Bible says when Jesus died on the cross, an earthquake shook the land of Jerusalem and Judea, and rocks crumbled and graves opened, and and I believe through that earthquake, it says that the temple in the curtain tore from top to bottom. What does that symbolize? That the way to God is now open. No longer is there a curtain separating us. Jesus doesn't just go into the curtain. He tears open the curtain. And he makes a way for us to come into God's presence. Listen, friends. Hear this. God wants to be with you. God wants to be intimate with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. Kids, God knows your name. He created you. He designed you. He loves you. He knows your strengths and weaknesses. If your brother is athletic and you're artistic, and you sometimes feel left out. God knows that. He designed you that way for a reason, for a purpose. And he tore open the curtain. He says, come be with me. Trust in Christ. Trust in Christ as the forerunner before God. I love this concept of forerunner. We've seen in the book of Hebrews, Jesus described as the Son of God, the high priest, the author of our salvation, the the founder of our faith, the source of our salvation. Here we see him as the forerunner. What's a forerunner? A forerunner is a groundbreaker right? Somebody who goes where nobody's gone before him, right? That stepping on the moon, Neil Armstrong, right? He was a forerunner. Now, unfortunately, not many people came after him because I guess NASA decided it wasn't worth it, but, but he was groundbreaking, right? He was the first one. You think about Jackie Robinson, right? The, a, a, a forerunner. He paved the way for, for how many countless Black athletes after him, not only to play baseball, but to play every sport, right? Do you think about Amelia Earhart, groundbreaking, a forerunner for female pilots? Now, now, ladies, please don't follow Amelia Earhart because we never found her. But you get my point, right? Jesus is a forerunner, a groundbreaker who has gone in as a human into the presence of God, connected with God, intimate with God, and he now says, you come after me, right? That's the beauty of it. A forerunner paves the way, leads the way forward. He now says, you come after me into God's presence. And so we can see thirdly this morning that we can hope securely in Jesus, our forerunner. That's your third point in the outline, that we can hope securely. We can hope securely in Jesus, our forerunner, because he's gone into God's presence. He's died on the cross for the wrongs that you've done. He's risen from the dead in victory, given you eternal life through the Holy Spirit, that you can now walk into God's presence through faith in Christ. And he's a high priest forever Not just once a year going into God's presence, but now eternally sitting at the right hand of God at that throne of grace in God's presence. We'll talk next week about the fact that he's not a typical priest from the tribe of Levi. He's a priest, it says, after the order of Melchizedek. Come back next week to find out what that means and how Jesus is a different, a better priest. But we know that we can enter into the holy place. We can enter into God's presence. And so we see this morning in this short, beautiful passage, as we summarize and begin to wrap up, first of all, we can wait patiently for God's promise. We can hold firmly to God's unchangeable purpose. We can hope securely in Jesus, our forerunner. And so think this morning about what storm you're facing, about what pressure you're facing, about wind, what winds are blowing against you. And think about where your anchor is. Man, is your anchor in your career? Is your anchor in your financial stability? Students, are you looking to your grade point average, to your popularity, to your looks? Are you looking to your athletic achievements? Are you looking to your bank account, to your success, to your popularity? Are you looking to the love of a boyfriend or girlfriend or even the love of a spouse? Are you looking to the likes that you get online to ground you, to hold you securely? Because listen, if that is your anchor, if those things in the world are what you hope is going to hold you firm in the midst of the hardships of life, it is going to slip. It's not a matter of, 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 of if it will, it's, it's a matter of only when it's going to happen because those things in the world, they shift, they change. Bank accounts drop, careers fall flat, people, people whom you love leave you. Likes on the internet are so temporary, and good looks, they fade away. Athletic prowess, it fades away. Only Christ is a sure and steady anchor of your soul. And so as you face temptation against sin, and you think, how am I ever going to overcome this? As you face hardships in school and peer pressure... Husbands and wives, as you face challenges in your marriage, as you face sickness, as you face both the internal threats and attacks of the devil, as you face, face external, the pressure and, and attacks of, of the world, there is only one anchor that never shifts, that never moves, that will bind you firmly and securely to the hope of Christ, bind you firmly and securely to the promises of God, to the purpose of God that is eternal, that is unchangeable, that in Christ you are loved. In Christ there is an eternal purpose. In Christ you have abundant life and you can rest secure in him. You can wait with patience. And some of you are like, but it's been, it's been years. I, I know. Abraham waited 25 years. Wait patiently, friends. And some of you are holding, but you're like, I don't know how much firmly, I don't know how much more I can hold to this anchor. No, that 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 Jesus has you bound. He has you tied. He's not going to let you slip. Put your hope in him, a secure hope in Christ, an expectant hope, a certain hope. So let's remind ourselves of this hope. Let's remind ourselves of this certainty. Let's flee to him for refuge and find that grace, find that mercy in time of need. Amen. As the worship team comes back up, we're going to sing and praise together this beautiful song that comes right out of this passage, written right out of this passage in Hebrews chapter 6. And after we sing this next song, Pastor Matt is going to invite us to come to the table. And we are going to remind ourselves as we take of the cup, as we take of the bread, we're going to remind ourselves that Jesus has tore open the curtain, has paved the way into God's presence, that we now feast on his body and blood. We remember and we nourish ourselves on his sacrifice, knowing that through that we can know God, through that we can be in God's presence, and through that we have a hope that is secure, a sure and steady anchor. Amen? Let's stand together and worship. God in heaven. We offer this song of worship and praise to you in faith, in obedience, and we ask that as we put you in your proper place as our anchor, as our God, as our Savior, that you would give us faith that you would empower us to hold firmly, that you would empower us to let go of all those little mini anchors that we think are going to hold us firm, that in the midst of whatever storm and wind and waves we're currently facing, that we would only ground ourselves in Christ, the true and final anchor of our soul. And so hear our praise, prepare our hearts this morning for the Lord's Supper. We lift this song to you in Jesus' name.